Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop, and this episode of the podcast is for all of the athletes out there who have gone through their 2022 season, you've reflected upon it, and you have come to the conclusion that something that you are going to change in 2023 is to bring on a professional coach to help you in your ultra running endeavors. So, On the podcast today, I have somebody that has more experience in that arena and looking at athletes, sussing up their needs as an athlete and getting them the right coaching solution. Somebody who needs no introduction because he is a repeat offender on the Coopcast, and that is CTS's Athlete Service Director, Dominic Gunto, who in his day job does nothing but pair up our incoming athletes with our over 60 coaches that we have underneath our umbrella. It is quite a task indeed, and he has more experience doing this than I think anybody in the entire world. And while this might seem like a little bit of an advertisement for our own coaching, and I do have a sneaking suspicion that some people might give me that criticism, and that's totally okay because it's my podcast and I can do whatever the heck I want to do with it. Athletes out there will be well served to heed the advice that Dominic has for you in this podcast, irrespective of whether a CTS coach is right for you or wrong for you, or you go and search out your own coaching solution, the framework that Dominic provides in terms of how to navigate that whole space is something that each and every athlete I think can take to heart as they undertake this journey, because make no mistake, This landscape has changed dramatically over the last several years, and there are some very good coaches out there, and there are also some coaches that are just not quite as invested in it. And at the end of the day, you all have to determine where you are gonna put your money, and more importantly, your hard-earned and not always easy to come by time into somebody that is going to provide you some counsel as to what to do with that time. There is no higher calling than to than to tell somebody what to do day in, day out with their hard-earned extra time as we do with training each and every day. So with that as a bit of a backdrop, I'm getting right out of the way. Here's my conversation with CTS Athlete Services Director, Dominic Gunto, on how to find the right coach and how to build a fantastic coach-athlete relationship. What have you seen new in the athlete space? Because once again, you've been, I mean, you've seen the entire history, right? You've been doing it for a long time. You see all the athletes that come in, cyclists, triathletes, and and trail and ultra runners. And I always want to get your perspective on what's different this year compared to last year in terms of the people that we're seeing coming in and what they're training for? I'm going to paint some things with really broad strokes here and, uh, and be as bold to say um, nobody does just one sport anymore. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I I can't. So we changed our, like our consult form when people will list a secondary sport. Um, 99% of the time, everyone has a secondary sport. There's a, there's that, there's that oddball that it's pickleball. Um, But, but I would say that 50% of ultra running athletes, their secondary sport is gravel. 
They've all moved to gravel. I mean, it's not weird. It's funny because I was talking to my my neighbor about this the other day. And that I think it's the, it's the natural transition of, I want to cover a lot of miles. I want to be outside. I want to be away from the roads. Not totally committed to something as crazy as mountain biking yeah, that yeah, I could really yeah, get hurt. Yeah. Um, but it seems like a natural transition to normal bike riding, but still doing it away from you know cities and and uh, and so forth. So I think I think that's it. I also think that that is that's where so many people have come from from a recovery standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're recovering, but I still want to do something. Um, so the the gravel bike becomes this natural transition. I mean, we've seen it even in our own coaches. Yeah. There's also a lot of influencer uh, influence, not to use the same word twice, <laughs> but a lot of like the elite athletes and influencer they athletes the and thing. things like that. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, they use gravel bike as part of their training or recovery, or they go do races uh, and other athletes see that. They're like, oh, that looks cool because you know, Tony Kapritschka is doing it or, you know, whoever else. And that grows the community right. that, that's involved in gravel biking as well. It's interesting, interesting perspective. Half. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't begin to tell you how many people come in with, um, they want a little bit of both. Like it's not my primary sport, but I'm still, I'm doing an event because I'm with some of my other friends that are doing yeah, the same yeah. thing. Um, or, uh, they, they just want to use it, um, uh, a couple times a week as their recovery. And, huh. and I think, I think a lot of it is just, let's face it, it's that, that type a, like, hold on a second, I can do something else and not take a full rest day. I could just get on a bike and pedal. Well, I don't want to do that on the road. And again, just, it's this natural transition is to, but it's not just, it's not just that so many more people. Not to say that they weren't doing it before, but I think they realize, especially that coaching has evolved into a into a kind of a um, a true profession yeah. where a lot of the coaches out there, uh, our coaches included, um, if you have the science, you can help provide them a plan to assist them with their cross country skiing, their rowing, their gravel biking, their um, uh, uh, one triathlon that they'll do a year, um, bike packing, hiking, you name it. Everyone has, is coming in with a secondary sport. Hmm. Um, uh, and we've talked about this before. Um, I'm always amazed at the amount of crossover in people who have either been ultra runners who became bodybuilders or power lifters or power lifter <laughs> bodybuilders that became ultra runners. And you want to play a game of psychology of it's the, what's the craziest transition that I could possibly make to, to change my entire physical being. I think I'll lose a hundred pounds and start running hundred mile races. It's, it's yeah. You I can't met, tell me that you haven't seen that. I met one of those this weekend. Oh. So one of the people that I, that I follow on social media, I think they've got a really good game is this 
guy in the nutrition, bodybuilding, and powerlifting space called Lane Norton. Oh, you sent me his link. Yeah, yeah. We we watched his videos in yeah. the office one day. And and I'm I'm kind of fascinated from a couple of different perspectives. One, I just think that their content that they put out is super high quality. But the second thing is, is from a business standpoint, they have a really similar business model to us where they've got like a head coach, so to speak, and right. then a bunch of, you know, assistant coaches, so to speak, kind of that, that work for this, you know, one head coach with their nutritionists and uh, things like that. And I met one of them actually recently out in Montana, this guy, Polly, so I, I sent him a book and I had no idea you know, that he was remotely interested in trail and ultra running other than I just happened to run into him at this race. And I was wearing a shirt that I'd bought from this guy, Lane Norton. He, and he had, and he happened to recognize it. And I just offhandedly mentioned, I was like, Hey, if you ever remotely interested in running ultras, this is a good blueprint for it. He's like, Oh no, no, I was thinking about doing it. And this is a guy, I mean, he's a huge dude, really, really jacked guy. You could tell he's a, you know, weightlifter type does not belong aesthetically in like the trail and ultra running category, you know, because of just his, just his, just because of his physique. But to your anecdote that a lot of people are crossing over from one sport to the other holds true with that one uh, pretty well. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, again, it happens all the time. The other thing too, I think, and I don't know where it comes from and you probably would better, but from an ultra running uh, space, I think um, the majority of people, are asking more about strength training. Yeah. Just, I, I can't, I can't, I can't hide that fact that yeah. they're asking for, for more of it. I, I don't know where it, it originates from. Again, maybe it's those influencers that are talking about, you have to do strength training. Um, I don't know, but it's definitely become. Well, popular. I think so. We're still seeing exponential growth in the space. And as that pool of people expands, with that expansion becomes more diversity. And that diversity comes in a lot of different flavors. It comes with just the sheer, you know, male, female makeup, where they come from around the world, their sport background, which is what we're, you know, talking about right now. And also their other interests. When you have a niche sport, the very purest um, flavor of that niche sport is pretty self-contained, right? They do their niche sport and that's kind of all they do. But then when you expand it outside of that niche, the further and further that it gets outside of that niche, the more and more people that you get from various aspects of life. And we're, we're about to see a really great example of that. And I think this has always been a very good example of that in the Leadville trail 100. It's going to happen in a couple of weeks where that race in particular has always attracted people that are not your, this is my hundredth ultra. And then I'm going to do Leadville. They attract a lot of the first time, uh, ultra marathon runners that come from a very diverse background. They come from triathlon, they come from bodybuilding or weightlifting. They come right. from soccer and things like that. And for whatever reason, the Leadville Tro 100 is their like first foray into, into, into ultra running. And so I guess we can use that as a little bit of a transition, right? Do you see that that sphere expanding as well and the new athletes that you see come in and and how does that play a role in primarily what you do in terms of matching up the right athlete to the right coach um i'm not totally sure i understand the beginning of your question as far as as far as the events are concerned it's one thing but but 
But what I will say about that is one thing that I do see is, is that uh, ultra runners to a degree have stayed a little bit more true to that, uh, the, the origins of the sport yeah. where so many of them are doing the backyard, backyard ultras. They're doing um, small, they still do the smaller races. Right. Um, they do, uh, you know, they'll enter a race that has 20 people in it. And, yeah. um, you know, now, so for instance, the, the gravel and the mountain bike community, they all seem to, to start leaning on all these massive events. Yeah. Um, what I have noticed in the ultra running world is those that do sign up for, they get into Western States or they sign up for Leadville or, um, you know, one of the, the bigger races they, there's something about them requires that the coach that they have has to have done that race. <laughs> it is, it's the hardest part of my I'll job. Get, I'll, tell, I'll tell everybody why I'm laughing because we've had this conversation for ever since I've met you, right? Yeah. In terms of how to navigate this. And I've always, my opinion on this has changed quite dramatically over the years because whenever I used to take the stance that we and I still hold I still hold this opinion, although the practical outcome of it is different. That we can teach our coaches to coach within any sport. We can teach our cycling coaches to work with ultra runners. We can teach our triathlon sure. coaches to to work with cyclists. We can tr teach our ultra running coaches to work with cyclists and kind of this big whole sphere. But you're absolutely right on the athlete side of things. There's this kind of inherent buy-in and connection that exists when the coach is not only intimately involved in the sport, but intimately involved within the race, the, the race that they are actually doing. And to illustrate that, I always give this example of, you know, one, one of our former coaches, Nick White, who is a fantastic coach. He helped me a tremendous amount during the first, when I was writing the first edition of the book. And he coached Craig Alexander to not just one, but multiple Ironman world championships. And that's the pinnacle of that sport, an Ironman World Championship, not just one, but multiple ones. And I remember several years ago, an elite ultra runner trying to come on board, and I did not have the capacity at the time to work with this elite ultra runner. And I said, listen, here's my colleague, Nick White. He knows elite sport very well. He's you know worked in you know triathlon and taking Craig Alexander to not one, but multiple uh, world, uh, world championships. And Nick was not a triathlete at the time either. That was a sport that he had to learn. Right. He's, he he had not done an Ironman, yet he coached Craig to you know multiple Ironman World Championships, and that was a non-starter for this elite. Uh, he never trail moved past it. Never, never kind of even moved moved past it, and um, and so I understand the athlete's desire to have a coach that has done, or at the very least has coached athletes for the race or whatever that they're, that they're training for, because it, it, it immediately influences the buy-in process, which is so incredibly important with right. a coach athlete relationship. If you believe, if an athlete believes in what their coach is putting in front of them, that's worth like 90% of the adaptation right there. And the other 10% is all the stuff that we really worried about. Are you doing a 60 right. minute tempo run or a 40 minute tempo run or kind of whatever. Uh, so I, so, so I get that and that's a consumer side. I get that and that's a consumer side demand, but I still think that 
if you have a coach that's trained properly, they can work with a number of different athletes in a number of different situations. And maybe the one thing that escapes them is the 1% of nuance that's associated with whatever event. And normally that's not material anyway, but you see it come through the door every day. How, how important is that? And do you actually try to de-emphasize that with athletes that are really focused on it? I, I do try to de-emphasize it because I think there's a there's a an advantage. Sometimes there's depending on the athlete. Sometimes there's more of an advantage to going with the coach that doesn't have experience in that event because that coach is going to work even harder to figure it out. To figure it out, yeah. and they're they're really going to. So I, I know if, so if I was the coach and and someone signed up for an event that I'd never done, I'm now going to, I'm going to go through stage after stage, mile after mile, and look at the elevation game, look where the aid stations are, look at all of these specific things. If I've done the event before, I'm immediately going to take the natural approach of, oh, yeah, I, 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 know, I know where all that stuff's at. I'll, I'll just tell you. And not knowing, who knows, maybe they changed it for that year. Maybe you 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 can't coach somebody else the same way that you ran the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it really is allowing the coach to come in with fresh eyes and and provide that that information again from a from a coaching and scientific standpoint. So um I, I think that there's really something to be said for that. Um but then again, there are also athletes that there's just again, it's a it's a non starter. Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna search for somebody that that did the event that has done it. I got yeah. caught in that just this week with Leadville coming back to Leadville for whatever reason, because I was talking to an athlete who is doing it for the first time. And so he's leaning on me, not only for the training component of it, Hey, go run five hours today and stuff sure. like that, but also for the, how the race works. Cause he's new to, he's new to ultra running. And this year they took out the May queen aid station just on the outbound section. So it's the aid station at mile 13 and I kept talking about how his crew needs to get there early and this, that, and the other. He's like, this is not in the race packet for this year. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't even realize that they had changed that for See? this year because I was relying on my experience, right. not only running the race, but also coaching however many, you know, dozens and dozens of athletes for, for that race as well. So to your point of trying to figure things out with a fresh set of eyes, is I think really in not relying on past experience is really well taken. That's something that is probably a small oversight, but you can easily extrapolate it to how it could be a big one if you're solely relying on that previous experience. Right. And how long ago was that experience? Yeah. You know, my memory of a, a hundred mile mountain bike race 10 years ago <laughs> is my memory of a hundred mile race t 10 days ago is really not that good. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm missing like eight hour blocks somewhere. Um, here's so along those lines, here's something that has come up recently on some consults that I've done specifically that I want to get your perspective on. We get kind of consults in a couple of different flavors, but two of the primary ones are, the athlete is coming in the door and they're surveying the landscape. They want to know what we have to offer with our coaching staff versus another coach. They're, they're going along this, this process of making an informed decision about getting coaching for whatever they're, right. whatever they're training for and getting a consult with our coaches is kind of one of them. 
The other flavor, and this is kind of more pertinent to for whatever reason of what I've been experiencing just in the past few weeks, I had one just this morning that, that rang along these same lines, where an athlete is currently working with a coach and feels that that, that current setup between the coach that they're currently working with and them has been kind of a copy paste of either what that coach does personally they're usually, it's usually an elite athlete type of situation or whatever. So they're just taking their program and kind of, kind of, uh, translating it to another athlete or a copy paste of some other marquee athlete that that coach has worked with. And now is just using that template as, or essentially as a template across their entire, across their entire athlete base. And this this theme came up so like so frequently over the course of the last few weeks. It's the only consult that I've, that that I've done. I've almost kind of got all my answers, you know, memorized in, you know, rinse and rinse and repeat them. Are we, is that something that you are seeing more broadly, like come in the door in terms of these athletes are evaluating their current coaching situation and just saying, Hey, wait a minute, there's something messed up with this. I'm getting the same thing that, Johnny's getting that Susie's getting that Jack is getting that I've seen over here. I don't think it should be that way. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I personally don't see it as a, as a heavy trend. I do see it come in the door and I think it has um, very specifically has to do with the same thing that we've experienced in, in, in any coaching, especially in a surge in coaching is that um, there are lots of uh, I should say surging coaches and coach availability, yeah. um, coaches that are out there that have decided to hang the proverbial shingle and say, I'm a coach. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that with that, they're not coming in with the science. They're coming in with just, I, I've, I've done a bunch of ultras Their experience. Yeah. And, and experience. And um, once they start getting into the reality of the science behind ultra running and what's available now too, they feel like, well, this plan worked for somebody else. And again, I can rinse and repeat. I can I can make it shiny in a few areas. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for that athlete. Um, and that's, you know, that ends up being, you know, the real difference in 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 what we do and then the team of coaches that we have. You you can't get away with that um, in a continuing ed with our, you know, uh, our, our group of coaches. You can't just sh- – you imagine if one of our coaches just showed up and showed you a program that that they had copied and pasted for from someone themselves. else? <laughs> yeah, or yeah. this is this is what I did for Leadville, so I'm going to do it with this athlete. Right, yeah, they would get, get eaten shredded. alive. They would get shredded in in uh, you know within uh, within our you know our. They wouldn't get hired in the first place. Is what I would say. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I, and I tell people all the time, it's hard enough to get a job. Um you know, at, at CTS or at any real quality coaching company. Um, I, I can only speak for us, but um, it's hard enough to do that. I mean, you've, you've got to come in the door and trust the fact that your coach has the ability to, to, you know, provide you what you're looking for. So just find the relationship that works. So you're the master at that. Find the relationship that works. Seriously. Yeah. Like you're really freaking good. You're really freaking good at it. Oh, I was going to start with why is it so important, but I'm just going to skip over that. How do you go about figuring out where, like when it's going to work the best? 
I know there's a lot of like secret Dominic, really, you know, sauce and all of this. I, I don't know. I, I, I and as, as silly as it sounds, I just, I think, I think I have a good read on people. Um, even, and that includes what they write in their consults. Um, if I can speak to them on the phone, I definitely get a better idea. Cause I also know our coach as well. Um, yeah. and that's, and that's important. Um, I've definitely been thrown by a few. We're like, wow, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. Um, but Probably no different than uh, probably no different than finally going on a on a date after you spoke to someone three or four times on the phone. You could have spent hours, and all of a sudden, you, you get face to face with them and and realize like, wow, this is this is this is not working out the way I had planned. I want to make it translatable to the audience that out there though, because they're. There are going to be people in various stages, either they're self-coached or they're thinking about getting a coach or they're currently coached and, you know, and kind of everything in between. What, what would be a very realistic example of something that you picked up on our consult form? And to set this up a little bit, we have a consult form on our website. It's got several different questions. What are you training for? What are you looking, what are you looking for in a coach and things like that? And then we use that as part lead generator, but also part of the initial conversation process between you and the prospective athlete in order to help direct what the best coaching decision is for them. But what's a realistic example of something that routinely sticks out that will say to you, oh, I know what direction to, 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 I know what direction to take with this particular athlete in terms of matching them up with the right person. It, it, honestly, it's the details. So, and if one of those details is um, uh, specific to um, the science or the data, yeah. and and those things are definitely going to go to certain coaches and not go to others. I, I already know that there's not going to be a, a match there. Um, but the the probably the biggest part for me that I want to I would like to see more from athletes is more of just the human side of, and we've had this conversation before. I, I know this sounds terrible to an athlete because it's somehow so important to them. I don't care what kind of shoes you run in. I don't care that you have $200 hokas or sock knees, or I don't care what kind of bike you ride. I don't care what gearing is on it, how much it costs, you know, whatever. Um, none of that, none of that matters with the coach. I also, it also, technically doesn't matter that you have 10 years of data in training peaks. The only thing to me that, that, that offers a coach is, Hey, here's somebody who's committed to their sport and they've mm. done this, but especially if you've had a couple of years off, I don't care what your mile PR was in 96. Like it, it just, it really just, it doesn't matter. Again, yeah. it's, it's some information that gives you a little bit of background on, on the athlete, but it's not going to help you train them any, any differently. Um, but, uh, the emotional side of, uh, and, and the real life side of, of running, um, as it relates to how they're going to train, whether they have a family and a full-time job, do they travel a lot? Are they looking for lots of changes in their, uh, often have their, their workouts changed because they have to travel. Do they have weight that they want to lose? Do they have nutrition that they want to focus on? Um, are there, um, I oftentimes will, um, certain coaches are better with, um, 
classic injuries or uh, diseases or, you know what I mean? Somebody's specific in, use cases. A, a, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely have those coaches um, or, or athletes that are, are looking for that. And I, and I'll often just go out to coaches and find out who may have experience with that. Um, but uh, the, the, the best information that somebody could provide us with is, is exactly what, the coaches should be the first question. And we've been, we've been doing a lot. We actually recorded a ton of our consults yeah. over the last couple of months. And it was really interesting to hear how they flow um, and the questions that are asked, but there should be one question asked um, and answered by the athlete and then responded to by the coach. And that's simply, why do you want to coach? What, what brought you here and what are your expectations from coaching? That's it. Um, there, you know, there were a couple of consults where, you know, the coach says, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and what your goals are and how long you've been doing this and, yeah. and where you want to go. Like, oh, it's way too much. It's too detailed. Yeah. 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 Why, what, what are you looking for in a coach? What are you expecting from this whole experience? Um, that information provides me a lot because it also, it also gives me the opportunity to decide, are you at the right package level? Yeah. Um, yeah expectations are are, are are a big deal. And you've probably seen it in, in events even now um, where, especially if you get a, a new athlete and their only event that they've done is, you know, Leadville. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, they sign up for the, you know, Cheyenne Canyon 50 K and there's, there's just a, there's a piece of crepe paper hung up. that says start, <laughs> you know, between two trees and they're immediately gone. Like, where's the dinner afterwards? And don't we get a free shirt and a hat and a pair of gloves and, um, and a massage therapist at the end. And, and they have all of these expectations for, uh, these events. Um, but the same thing comes from, uh, uh, from coaching a lot of times. Um, and, and in, in, in the opposite way, like you said, I'm coming from a coach who didn't give me feedback, didn't give me the why to what I'm doing, or, uh, they, they just copied and pasted a plan and then they come and they, they, they work with us or they, they have the opportunity to work with an, another coach and, and they realize, wow, I, I had no idea. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, we've had that conversation before about, about when a coach leaves and they, and an athlete gets assigned to a new coach. Yeah. Um, and they say, oh, I can't leave, you know, I can't leave Jason. He's been my coach for five years. And um, I used to use the analogy about dating. And uh, and I still do. Um, how often, you know, you think if, if somebody, you know, gosh, if she breaks up with me or he breaks up with me, I'm never going to be able to live. And next thing you know, two weeks later, you meet somebody else and you think, oh, my God, what was I doing with exactly. them all this time? Exactly. This is amazing. <laughs> so, uh uh, oftentimes that happens with with coaching where they come from one experience and they 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 come to you know us again or 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 elsewhere. There are other there are other good coaches out there. Well, but starting out with that question, what do you want to get from coaching and letting the athlete direct that? That is so insightful because they're going to tell you the first thing that comes to mind. And that first thing that comes to mind is normally the thing that's the most important to them. And it gives you this, this kind of sliding scale of technical to emotional to general to specific of where the athlete is coming to the decision with. If they, if they answer that question with, I always have GI issues, 
that makes the answer quite easy. We need a coach that has a specialist in, or that is a specialist in nutrition. I'm always getting injured, right? Okay, right there. I would need somebody to help me get out the door. Okay, we need some of our more kind of like emotion, our cheerleader type of coaches, right? right? You've talked about that yep. a lot between our drill sergeant coaches, drill sergeant and cheerleader. Those are the yep. two categories that we get. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like I said, I think directing or having the athlete direct that and picking up on the very first one versus having a whole list and then choosing what the rack and stack order is or whatever is, it has always been quite, quite insightful because I know that I've been on several consults where I've oriented my first question in somewhat of that fashion. And I've gone, Hey, I don't think that I'm the right solution for you. I right. think that this coach over here, based on what you've just told me and how, you know, how passionate you are about this kind of one area, this coach over here is a much better solution for you versus what you, what you think is the best solution for you, which would just, is in some cases they, for whatever reason, they think that I'm the right coach for everybody, which I'm not. Which, which is funny because there, there haven't been a lot of times where you've said that and somebody didn't take that seriously and, yeah, and, yeah. and move on to another coach. But um, it, it really is – it's really interesting to see – the ones that don't, and they just, they're just, they get so focused Tunnel on it again. They get, almost, yeah, they get yeah. focused on the product. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it'd be like going into a car dealership and saying, I want a Mercedes. And they're like, what do you want to do with it? Well, I need to load hay in the back of it and cart bikes around and stuff like that. <laughs> like, okay, you want a pickup truck? Like, nope, I want a Mercedes because I need to have a Mercedes, right? I love that. Analogy. And uh, <laughs> so, but, the, and they're not, they're not, I'm not even sure if they're listening to what they're yeah, saying. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, it's really okay to not have Jason Coop as your coach, but have, you know, uh, you know, Ryan Anderson or, or, or just because they're actually going to be a better coach for you. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah, the thing that I think, that, yeah. I think that's the thing that most people don't realize or is kind of like underappreciated. Cause I see that this, when I'm out in the kind of out in the field as well, is that you and I, we can be agnostic, right. Between, athlete going to coach A, coach B, coach C, kind of within our ecosystem. Because from your perspective, you have this orientation, and this is what I've always appreciated about how, how you kind of look at things, where you want to make sure that that coach-athlete relationship is the best setup for the long term. So not just get them in the door, right? You're still the sales guy at the end of the day. You've yeah. got a fancy, you know, fancy title that tries to dodge the sales question. But at the end of the day, you're just a salesperson. But that that quote unquote sales cycle for you is how long how long should this coach athlete relationship last for? Not just was what is going to create the initial splash, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, let, again, we we've had this conversation before that if this is there's still a business side of this, and the truth is, if I can set up an athlete with the two most likely matches for them and then for the athlete to be vested in that decision and yeah. speaking to both of them, there's definitely a better chance in that athlete sticking around longer than just, I mean, you remember you sign up for coaching and you're like, Oh, Jason's a runner. He's going with yeah, yeah this person, this yeah, person yeah, yeah. because they're a running coach and that's yeah. who's available. And now 
the coach actually, or the athlete actually gets to be involved in that, in that selection process. And ultimately it's the best setup for the athlete. They're going to reap the most benefit out of it because they, as I mentioned earlier, they wholeheartedly believe in that coach's plan, their communication, that they're getting the right thing. If they're, if they have that initial investment and going back to my earlier example, while I'm getting all of these like consults from, athletes that are working with another coach, the failure point is only partially like the, what I would call the training architecture that's behind it. I can, I can always nitpick those things apart. I mean, that's what we do right. a lot in our continuing eds, but moreover that failure point is that the athlete has lost the belief that whatever they're doing is the right thing for them. If they still had the belief and even if the training architecture is correct, that's very easy to point out. I can say, listen, you know, you're doing all the right things. You don't, you just don't believe that you're, you know, you just don't believe that you're going to improve because of them. But I can look at this analytically and say, yeah, these are, these are basically all the, all, you know, all the correct things to do. So I, I think like coming for full circle on that is that for the athletes out there that, that are listening, like don't ignore that belief component when you're assessing either the coaching setup that you're looking for or the coaching setup that you're in, that you really do have to believe in your training in order for it to work. Yeah. And believing in your training is believing in where it's coming from. Yeah. And that's believing in your coach. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it makes all the difference in the world. I, I, I say it in every consult, every discussion with an athlete, it always, I always will say it's going to come down to, who you got off that call with and thought, yeah, that's who I want to talk to each week. That's okay. It's so that's a, always a fascinating component because can you, can, can you like paint the picture of how obvious it is or isn't once an athlete goes through this like two pronged consultation process? So they reach out, you do an initial assessment you say, Hey, I think coach a or coach B is a good one for them. How, at the end of the day, how how obvious is it to the athlete where they should be going and or how much do they struggle with it? I am confident that the athlete has all of the right answers, but they get sucked into the same thing that all of us do. And that is, for instance, um, you want to buy a, a, a bike and, uh, and you've got the, the famous, I don't know, specialized stump jumper here. And then you've got the, you know, I don't know, mongoose rock jumper here. They have exactly the same parts on them. They exactly. And, but the difference is, is maybe a thousand dollars. Chances are that person's just think all they're, all they're thinking is all I see on social media and advertising and in articles and everything is I need to buy the stump jumper. For all we know, that the bike is way better. The other, the, the other one is, and and they get into this. So, perfect example. Maybe I put you up against Addison. Yeah. Um, in, in a console. Yeah. Addison, awesome coach. He's he's one of our newer coaches. Um, but he knows this stuff. He's super hungry. He's well educated, and. Someone's going to come off the call and they call me and they go, you gave me two really good coaches. And I just, I don't know which one to pick. And I hear what they're saying. They're like, 
I really enjoyed my conversation with Addison. I really look forward to talking to him. We had this in common. We did this the same. We run the same races. We live in the same area. He'll be able to meet me sometimes. All these things. But then there's Jason Cooper. Like, you haven't said one good thing about the call and then the conversation. That, but I, I don't want to say, I'm simply saying that they, they've made their decision, but they feel like they should be doing something else just because of what society it's almost and, like and a trust your gut and not the influence absolutely type of, yeah. yeah if that works for you then if, if it's not broke don't don't fix it right you know if you had a you know a, a pair of i don't know converse shoes that you've run all your races in and regardless of all the new technology that's out if it's not broke don't fix it like if that's they, they work for me why would you change that so based on that i think we should change your title from like sales guy to like guidance counselor because really, ultimately, right, that's what you're doing is you're like guiding people into the right decision versus trying to like sell them a product. I know. And I, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm human as anyone else. And I get frustrated sometimes when people will call me and question me. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to be a dick, but I mean, seriously, like they'll go, well, you, I looked at their bio and why did you assign me these two coaches? And I, and I. And I, and I want to talk to them. like, we talked about this and they're like, wow, they're really different. Like, their, their, their communication styles are different, but their coaching it, their, the, the philosophy and so forth is all the same. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to figure out which one works have for you. Have a stark and compare and contrast. I've, yeah. I've been, uh, and, yeah. and I don't have a problem sending a third one if that's yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. they where they come from. But um, I typically will talk them through that initially and say, go through the full the two consults and then let me know. And I've I've yet to to have anybody say I absolutely don't like either one of those and I have to talk to someone yeah, else. Yeah. Um, go through the process. The process really. It really does work, and you you learn so much from talking with uh, with the coaches. This uh, I was trying to think about when we originally started doing the consults, and um, we were discussing this the other day about how many other coaching organizations do this now, and it's almost like we we kind of started. Yeah, the, we're definitely one of the first out of the gates with it. Yeah, um, and uh, and and I think it originally started with me getting athletes just being more inquisitive about like, do you have a coach that's like, do you have this? Yeah. And I'm not sure about this coach. And I remember just saying, why don't you pick? How about I just schedule <laughs> a call with, with both of those coaches? And um, like I said, it's, um, it's a great experience for the athletes and no one ever says that they, they don't enjoy um, the opportunity to speak to. Well, to, it, put, to, it puts the athlete in, the real life situation of what they are going to experience when they're actually working with a coach. Right. So just think about the way that you could pick any, any type of consultant, right? Whether it's an accountant or a nutrition consultant or business consultant or a coach, you're going to have some sort of you know, interpersonal interaction with them. You're going to call them on the phone. You're going to meet them in person. Right. You're going to have a whole string of text messages and things like that. And the best way to get a flavor for how that communication is going to work is to actually get in that venue, right? Our coaches call their athletes on the phone about once a week in most cases. So let's get them on the phone during consult, phone, Skype, whatever virtual technology we want to use. 
it's almost impossible to replicate that with a bio that's sitting on a website, which is another way that you could, you know, kind of select whatever right. consultant you're trying to select. I could go and I could look at all the accountants in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I could look at their bios and I would have no sense of how they are going to be when I pull up with my shoebox full of receipts right. and I plunk it on their desk and I ask them to make sense of it and tell them, you know, how tell cool me would it be if you could do two 15 minute consults with a new primary care doctor? I'd sign up for that. To- totally. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you just go, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, Dr. Freeman's available this day and I'll, I'm just going and you show up and you're like, this is what I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's been often times and then you, you, you leave the office and you think he didn't ask me if I was active, my exercise, my diet, anything. He just walked in and prescribed me with something. And again, you would, you would get an idea of that through yeah. a, through a consult. That's think, it. We're changing the whole world. Everybody gets a consult. Well, I think that the the <laughs> like the like the hero piece of advice and all of this is that for people considering coach coaching, don't be afraid to reach out to all of those options that are out there and say, "Hey, can I talk to you on the phone for fifteen or twenty minutes in advance?" First off, I think anybody who's coaching should be willing to do that if they right. are truly oriented in making sure the athlete has the best solution, whether it's them or another another person. But ultimately, it's kind of a considered purchase, right? I mean, you're investing the most important commodity that you have, which is your time. You're asking somebody, what should I do with this 10 hours a week or whatever yeah. that I have to train and I want to make the most out of it? I can't think of a more kind of important delegation than delegating to somebody else what I should actually do with the finite amount of time that I have to, I have to, I have to train. <laughs> so everybody out there who's listening could, can like really, really take that to heart that, you know, be deliberate with it and don't be afraid to get people on the phone and ask them a few questions and to see if you believe and if there's some sort of, you know, match there that you can wholeheartedly get behind. Yeah. It's, it's, um, talk, Talk, talking to people isn't dead. It's not dead yet. <laughs> it shouldn't be. And dead, uh, yeah. it's uh, and I, I, I find myself in the same situation. I mean, there was a time when somebody knocked at your door and you're like, oh, great. Who's at the door? Somebody knocks at your door now and you're like, what are you trying to sell me? Really? Who could possibly <laughs> be knocking at my door? You know what? I'm not even answering it. I'm just staying right here. <laughs> Nobody told me that they were coming to knock on my door exactly. or even calling you on the phone yeah, anymore. Exactly. Even my friends will text me like, is it cool to call you right now? <laughs> they right? text you that? Yeah, they can would I text me like, yeah, now's good. Just call me. Just call me. <laughs> it's okay to just call All me. my athletes know they can call me out of, out of the blue. I'll usually pick up if I'm not sleeping. Yeah, well... That's why you and I often don't text because I'm up at four o'clock too. It's true. So. I try not to text you and, and bother you because I know how much you value your personal time. I'm usually on Strava, so I can usually see that you finished your run at 545. And then at that point, I could start sending you messages. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. You usually run past my house. You could just stop. I do. I just stop and throw a rock at it and you go. You know, see where you're at. Okay. So we talked about kind of a couple of different things. It's First off this flavor of consult that we've seen where people are kind of comparing and and contrasting. And I do think that in the trail and ultra running space, the supply of the coaching market is getting a little bit saturated. 
And the reason I say that is because I'm seeing the exact same things. You, we haven't talked about this. Maybe we will when we're offline. I'm seeing the exact same things that I saw in the early 2000s in the cycling market. Like it's almost playing out. And what are those things? The, the biggest thing is the price points. The new coaches coming into the trail and ultra running market want to race to the bottom of the price point bracket because they feel that's their that's the only way that they can kind of compete. And so they're offering what they will advertise to be, whether or not it's actually what it is or not is a different story. But what they are advertising to be fully customized, individualized coaching programs for like $100 a month, which both you and I know that that's completely impractical just based on the time allocation that it takes right. for, the co- for, for the coaches. <clears throat> Second thing is is they're so that's the first thing is, is the is the price point. Second thing is is they're trying to they're they're forgetting to adopt technology that is readily out there that will enhance the athlete and most most specifically just using training peaks to coach. There's a right. lot of coaches that are still trying to do it in spreadsheets. They're still trying to do it through Strava, which we like Strava. You just mentioned sure. it. it's a great tool, but it's not built and they will admit this, it's not built to coach athletes and analyze data, athlete, yeah. analyze data in the way that coaches need to analyze, right. an, analyze data. And the mirror image of that was going on in the cycling industry in the early 2000s where we had the power meter kind of revolutionize that. And some coaches knew how to use it and other coaches didn't. Everybody claimed that they knew how to use it. And a lot of coaches came into the space and started trying to offer $100 a month coaching, $80 a month coaching, $70 a month coaching, and things like that. And that model very quickly broke down in about in, in about 10 years. But if, you know, this is going to go on air, so I guess I'm going to get stuck with this prediction. T- 10 years from now, that will course correct, meaning that market, that marketplace, that oversaturation of coaching right. will eventually dry out because not enough people can earn a living off of it, and everybody's going to have to raise their prices and raise their entire game up. And that will change the landscape for the better. The athletes will be better served, which is the most, which is the most important thing. Um, and people can make a kind of a full-time living coaching versus having to like side hustle for it. I, I, I would counter that by saying it'll happen faster than that. Faster than 10 years. Yeah. Cause I mean, within the next 10 years, you're going to see more AI you're going to see. Um, and, and a lot of people are, are just going to get filtered out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I think you're. I, I think you're right. It's interesting on the price point thing. Um, when you think about, you, you say it, it's not feasible to do it for for a hundred dollars, and I want, and there's so many people, especially people that that purchase coaching are typically, I'm not going to say more affluent, but they they understand some some business or they yeah. have their own yeah, yeah. they have their own business and they, and they've seen things. Just put those shoes on. Just step into our shoes, and you know we sell a a you know a one hour consult with a coach. Um, you know maybe you're not coached. Maybe you write your own program, and you'd like to go over your program with a coach, see if you left any gaps and yeah, yeah. and so forth. It's a hundred dollars, and um, which is very reasonable. Hundred dollars for an hour yeah. of uh, of of a professional coach's time. Yeah. Our select coaching package is one ninety seven a month. And with that, you get 
to talk to your coach each week. Uh, we, we don't put a hard number on it, but it's an hour per month, 15, yeah, yeah. 20 minutes yep. a call. So that's an hour. There's your hundred bucks right there. Yeah. And $97 left to play with. That coach hasn't written you a plan yet. Hasn't reviewed your data. Hasn't analyzed it. Hasn't talked about your nutrition. Hasn't written a strength training plan yeah. if they're doing anything like that. So now... You've got ninety-seven dollars to play with, and you've got a full, and you've got a premium Training Peaks account. Like, there's not, yeah. there's not a lot in that number. So to say that someone else is doing it for a hundred dollars, what can you really expect once they have more than three athletes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, exactly. that's the other thing too. Is is uh, it, it's interesting that this came up um, during one of the consult calls um, about how many athletes does a coach have? Yeah, and um, I don't want to just say that it's not important, but you have to remember you, for instance, have a lot of ultimate level athletes. They require more communication. They're requesting more communication, more frequent data analysis on, on a daily or, or every other day basis, looking at each one of their workouts. So with that, you can only take so many of those. I mean, for instance, if you're, if it's, you know, if you're, two or three hours a week with an ultimate athlete. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, yeah, just yeah, making up yeah. numbers. You only have so much. There's only so much time yeah. that you can, you can work with. So then you work with 20 of those. Whereas if somebody has select level athletes and they spend a half an hour a week with them, you know, writing their plan or talking to them, they could take 30 of those. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm just making up some people, you know, coaches have a mix. So it doesn't specifically lend it to, you know, how much time or how many athletes specifically can someone have? And if you have this many athletes, you can't handle coaching me. Well, I think the the big thing for the consumers to understand is, is that there's, there's a range to where it works really well. There's a range where you can be in this sweet spot where you coach enough athletes to get really good at it. And I'm not saying that people that coach part-time can't be good coaches, but it certainly delays their development as a coach versus somebody who does something full-time, they're going to develop a whole lot quicker. You just take right. any, any, any sort of other profession, you're a plumber, right? If you work as a plumber or an electrician 40 hours a week for 10 years, that's a lot of experience yeah. that you have. You've seen every single problem, you know how to fix every single drain, you know how every you know component of all these old houses that we live in work versus if you, if somebody is working or just does plumbing part-time five or 10 hours a week, it's going to take them four times longer to accumulate the same knowledge base as that person that's only doing it part-time. You can hear my dog in the background. She wants to go play instead of us recording a podcast. I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, but my point with that is, is that coaching, <clears throat> coaching is the exact same way. There's a skill and a developmental component of it where Sasha quit it. Come here. Come here. There's a skill and a developmental component of it that takes repetition in order in order to hone. And this range of coaching that we're talking about, we get too caught up in the nuance of it. Is it 30 or 40? But really right. the important part is it's tens not single digits and not hundreds right? that right. really makes it work. 
And so when I see what I try to steer coaches and I do, I do do consulting with other coaches outside of our, outside of our own internal coaching department when they're kind of like setting up their business and sure. I meet people at you know, training peaks conferences and things like that. What I encourage them to do is to try to find the sweet spot of their athlete count that they feel the most comfortable with and steer them away from the, I'm going to coach over a hundred people at hundred dollars a month, or I'm going to coach five people on the side and just try to make it work. Neither one of those serve the athlete very well right? because neither one of them gives the coach the right amount of time to develop the, to develop as a professional. And that ultimately gets reflected on the athletes and all these, you know, errors and mistakes and problems and things like that, that we see come through the pipes. And, and, and with that, again, not, to, not to sound like a, uh, I'm, pushing a product here uh, and, and you're a sales guy, guidance CPS counselor specifically. <laughs> but when you think about, you know, that, that $197, there's a few bucks in there that goes towards a, a, a management system, a mentoring process that ensures that we don't have coaches that are taking on yeah. more than they can handle. Yeah. Um, from either a load or a skill perspective. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so it's, that's, that's important. And again, that's, that's another, that's another part of, of my job is, is I, I make decisions based on what I know about the coaches and their availability. And, um, you know, the, the attention that an athlete is looking at, at a particular package level. And I am confident maybe that the, the coach that looks on paper, like the right coach for them is not the right coach for them right now because I know what their, you know, what their obligations are and what they, and that's, um, that's, I take into consideration those things all the time. Yeah. And I, a lot of that mentorship, I think it doesn't get as appreciated in the, amongst the consumer as it probably should. And I know that sounds bad considering all the consumers are listening to this, but I have, I have coaches ask me all the time, like, where do I go to get X, Y, Z knowledge base? And I have a hard time answering that question because there really is no established consistent pipeline for it. Yeah. You can get a certification, but certifications right. only go so far. Yeah. You can attend this webinar, but those webinars go so far. The, the real way that you would do it is to have a community of mentors around you that can listen to every phone call that you, that you make that can scrutinize every workout that you put on the calendar. And that community of mentors represents maybe a hundred years of coaching at the highest levels. I just was very fortunate that I had that in my twenties and we've tried to replicate that to the extent that we can with our current coaching group. But outside of that, it's honestly really difficult because it's not an established profession. It's not like you go to college it's with very rare exceptions that are out there. It's not like you go to college for it and there's this typical professional developmental pipeline. It really is left to the practitioner, the coach in this case, to take it on their own accord, what they are going to actually do. And not everybody, but most people are going to take the path of least resistance and just do the very bare minimum or nothing in that area, as opposed to really building it out. What would you choose? If you had the choice between a, uh, 
a coach that had uh, two masters in exercise physiology and uh, sports nutrition um, just graduated yesterday or a coach that doesn't have a degree in either one of those things, but has been a coach with CTS for 10 years and has coached hundreds of athletes um, is active, is an active runner um, um, has kind of self-taught, but has been actively coaching 10 to 30 athletes every day for 10 years. I well, put them both together. <laughs> <laughs> and we have that. Yeah, we do have that. Yeah, but what would, yeah. what would what would you where where would you stand on that? Do you do you feel like that experience or the education or a little bit of both? Well, both of those could work. <clears throat> and the way that we've always looked at our like our hiring process for our coaches is they have to meet a we're not a university. We're not set up to educate people on exercise physiology for, when we talk about it in a classic university university setting. So they need to come to the table with a bachelor's level understanding of exercise right. physiology. Does a master's degree help? Yes. Does two master's degrees help? Yes. Does a PhD help? Yes. And we have all of that, right? We have that whole right. range of bachelor's level understanding, maybe even not the degree, to PhD level from a classic education standpoint. And then what we do is we layer on the experience. And we layer on the experience with not only um, not only the actual work experience of getting to work with dozens and dozens of athletes across many, many years, but also the collective experience of the rest of our coaching department that can scrutinize that work product that they put out and the coaching that they that they put out that they would not have otherwise gotten unless they're 30 or 40 years down the line. So in, in many ways, you mentioned Addison earlier, so we'll pick on him a little bit more. Addison's a great, uh, a, a great kid and a great coach. He's going to come to the table a year from now after being after have been a co full time coach for a year or two years. He's going to come to the table for his athletes with experience four or six times that length of time because of the collective experience of the people around him that he actually has. And I don't know how other coaches do that. Like I, I don't profess to know how they yeah. gain that. I look at other coaches out in the space. <clears throat> And this is all with all due respect to them that are working with high profile and elite athletes that really do not have, in my opinion, the right amount of experience to do that. And I scratch my head and I bang my head against the table a little bit wondering how that how that actually happens, because I know as a coach, even when I had a decade of full time coaching experience, this was in my early 30s a decade of full-time coaching experience with people like Dean Golich and JT Kearney, who's one of the head physiologists over at the Olympic Training Center, Jim Lehman, who's coaching how, however many Olympic medalists that, he, right. that he's actually coached, a dozen people like that looking over my shoulder every single day scrutinizing what I, what I was doing. A decade of that, I still did not feel adequate coaching elite athletes at that time. I can't imagine some other coaches with half that experience and none of the mentorship doing, doing the same thing, yet it happens all the time. I just can't, I honestly like can't wrap my head around it. 
So anyway, my point with that is, is, is that to answer your question, we try to put that education and experience together and there really is no quote unquote perfect candidate. We just make sure that we have the tools available to take people that have the potential to be great coaches and mold them into those great coaches, however long down the line it actually takes. Yeah, it's, some, it's something that I see, I, or I should say, I hear from athletes all the time. And that's um, when, when they come to CTS, they're, they're coming for, they feel like they're not just getting one coach, they're getting 12 coaches yeah, yeah. Or, or, or 70 coaches if you want to, you know, or 60 coaches if you want to include our, our, our cycling and triathlon yeah, yeah. coaches. They're just getting, um, you know, uh, a coach that has the ability to turn their, you know, their, their chair around and, and ask their and virtual ask, chair. And, yeah, now. their virtual yeah. chair now and just yeah. and just ask um, and ask another coach a question. I mean, let's face it. We all have situations that we haven't been up against. Um, there's probably for you. It, it, there's there's less and less year after year, but um, I'm sure you're still always surprised that, wow, I, I haven't had this type of situation yeah. or how to get an athlete out of a, uh, out of a, a peaking jam or, you know what I mean? They've, they've reached a, they've reached a, a plateau that I can't, can't break through. And you at least can turn to all these other coaches and say, what, what have you guys done? And I, oftentimes you'll find whether they've done studies on it or they've just have had a series of athletes have had the same, you know, uh, affliction, if you will. You know, what's interesting <laughs> is like for a while I was actually like, struggling a little bit, so to speak, on where to get, where to kind of like continue to get that mentorship and advice. And trust me, our coaching staff does a large, they, they carry a lot of that load for, for me, for, for me specifically professionally. But the podcast has been such an amazing outlet for that. And I never would have anticipated it. Just by talking it through? Or just or, by or talking just dealing it through with, with other professionals? Well, because I bring, with the exception of you, Dominic, I bring people on the <laughs> podcast that are way smarter than me. <laughs> wow. And, and, uh, and uh, I end up orienting, like, orchestrating the conversation to answer a lot of the questions that I have in particular about something that I'm trying to like manage with an athlete so or whatever. So you do this just for selfish reasons. It's pretty much, pretty much it's just for selfish reasons. <laughs> but, um, but I guess my point with that is, is I never would have anticipated that was going to be the case with the right, podcast. Right. I thought it was going to be kind of like something else, but it served as not only a good mentorship opportunity, but also now I have this like professional network that I've built up sure. of people that I've had these awesome conversations with that I can go back to and say, Hey, will you help me with this? So a great example of that of this is Nick Tiller. We've had on the podcast like four times. He's one of our big, he and you are like the biggest repeat offenders. <laughs> and, um, when I initially re reached out to him as for the podcast, I wanted to talk about a specific paper that he wrote and things like that. I ended up reaching out to him when I published the second edition of the book specifically to give it a scientific review of the book. I would have never have had that opportunity had I not initially invited him on the podcast to do this right, initial right. thing. It was something that he did a, a freaking fantastic job in the, in the book is, uh, ended up being a much better product at the end of the day because of his counsel and also Stephanie Howe, who uh, did the ex exact same thing in, in, in parallel. 
So I think that we're kind of going off the we're not going off the rails as I anticipated here. The big thing here is is I do think that there's a space for all of this collective mentorship and education that exists out there in the space, although it is extremely difficult to catalyze if you're out there just by yourself doing it. It is not an easy right. proposition. Yeah, I have an idea for your next book, so let's oh. let's talk about this later. <laughs> okay, let's not bring it up now because then I'll get it's too soon, man. It hasn't even been out for a year. I already know what I'm going to do with it, though. So it'll be four years from now. Comic book I, version? Not a comic book version. Damn it! No, I'm not going on tour. All right, man. What else do you want to say? I don't know. Um, the, the gist of this, uh, kind of the bottom line on everything else that I I, I always say, and I know the. You were in the office all the time. You'd hear me say this all the time. You know, you can, you can, you can do anything you want as long as you let everybody know what you're, what you're doing. <laughs> and just be honest with people. Just be honest with yourself, too. Don't buy a product because that's what everyone says that you should do. Do some research. Have a coach consult. Look at other websites. Talk to other coaches. Uh, listen to podcasts like this. Gather some information. Share some honest information about what you're looking for in a coach. And we or someone else will, will find the right coach for you. But otherwise, um, don't ever hesitate to give me a call too. I'm always happy to talk to you. I always appreciate that, man. Never the hard sell. Always the guidance counselor. That's going to be your new title. I hope we guidance can get that counselor. on a business, a business card for you. But uh, yeah, man, good words to take to heart. Yeah. Be honest. Be nice to people, man. Thanks, man. It's pretty easy. All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Dominic for coming back on the podcast and entertaining my series of questions, making the journey all the way from two miles away from my house back into my living room to record this podcast. I've always appreciated your counsel and your friendship over the years. And as I said from the onset, I do think the athletes out there that are trying to navigate this space should heed a lot of Dominic's advice in terms of how to actually do it because he has seen the whole range over the course of his professional career at CTS, how it works well, when it goes awry, and how athletes can set themselves up the best for success. If you think that one of our CTS coaches is a great coach for you, you can talk to Dominic personally. All you got to do is go to www.trainright.com, put something in in the contact form, and somebody from our athlete services team, probably Dominic, will be in touch with you and help you navigate this whole thing in a manner much akin to what we went through during the podcast. I appreciate the heck out of all the listeners out there. If you think this content is valuable for someone you know, a training partner, a friend, somebody you run with, please feel free to share this with them or share it on your social media networks. That is it for today, folks. And as always, we will see you out on the trails. Mm -hmm.